Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Now, when you, when you, when, when you gave, I just want you to know that none of it goes to anything else, goes directly to the crusade. Every cent goes directly to the crusade and it will be used to win souls for Jesus in Africa. Amen. Okay, so I want you to see this scripture. It says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Amen? So God has wonderful thoughts for you and me. Just think of it. God has wonderful thoughts for you and me. And the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. And he says, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. So God, God thinks good thoughts for you and me. He wants, to, he wants to give us hope and he wants to give us a good future, right? So that is true. But the reality of it is that you know, most Christians, I'm talking about church people, look at their lives and many think that they have no hope and they're worried about the future. And, uh, you know, things are not always in line with what the Word of God says. We believe, let us be realistic about it because sometimes people think, look, I went to Rhema, I'm, I'm a faith preacher. And sometimes people think is that faith is like being an ostrich sticking his head into the sand and pretend everything is okay when things are not okay. You cannot deal with things unless you acknowledge that they are there. If you are sick, there is nothing wrong in saying that you are sick, but that is not the end of it. The fact isn't just that you are sick. The fact is that Jesus has borne your diseases and carried your infirmities and by his stripes you are healed. And that is revelation knowledge. But there's a sense knowledge, you know. There's a, there's a, a knowledge of circumstances, earthly circumstances. And uh, earthly circumstances, unfortunately, are real. You know, they're not like a dream. Sometimes I have a dream and I think... Uh, Oh my goodness, this is reality. And then I wake up and I'm so relieved that it was a dream. It was not reality. And then I snap back into reality. So earthly circumstances are not like dreams, but they are real, unfortunately. And the reason they're real is because, look, we are imperfect people and we live in a fallen world. That's the fact. We live in a fallen world. We have a perfect God his word is perfect, but we are not perfect. And so there's that two sides to faith. One side is who we are in Christ. Uh, for example, the Bible says, I was reading this morning in Ephesians 1, that God has made us holy and blameless in his sight. And we are. We are holy and blameless in his sight. Now that's, the, that's our legal reality in Christ. But there's a dynamic reality in Christ where God says, be holy even as your father is holy. So there's always that two sides to faith. It's like the two wheels of a bicycle. One uh, reality is who we are in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And the other wheel is that we all the time are striving to take a hold of the things that Christ has for us. And they are not contradictory truths. 
but there are parallel truths if you understand what i'm trying to say what we are in christ and so we take hold of them by faith and we possess them by faith and yet at the same time we are also moving forward to take a hold of those things so that they become not just a legal reality but they also become what i call a dynamic reality that they are real not only in our confession but they're real in physical reality amen do you understand what i'm trying to say so you you have these things so the here's the legal reality is that god's thoughts for us are wonderful they are uh, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and a future but the dynamic reality is that not all live in these realities there are brothers and sisters who really want to serve god and they you know but they keep on find themselves falling short about all this about having a hope and a future and they wonder what do i do and someone will say well you have demons you know you got this curses because your grandmother used to do the wage of board and so you need deliverance and someone will else someone else will say something else but but the reality is this why things are the way they are in our lives the bible says in proverbs 23 verse 7 for as a man thinketh in his heart so is he so it's one thing what god says about you about who you are in christ what jesus has done for us upon the cross and all this is real but our physical reality in this world is is a totality of who we are in our minds because the bible also says that as a man thinks in his heart so is he your thought life controls you are you with me what i'm saying it's one thing what god says he has done for us through jesus christ but the reality of our lives isn't always what god says it is although that is a truth but the reality when i say reality i mean what we experience in life our everyday thing is a result is a sum total of our thought life what consumes our thoughts defines us that is what we end up becoming what consumes our thoughts so as a man thinks in his heart that's you know the writer of the book of proverbs solomon i mean he had a lot of wisdom and it is true as a man thinketh in his heart so is he so you are not always what god says you are although legally yes in christ we are all those things but our reality everyday experience what we become in life is isn't always what god says we are but it becomes a result of our thought life as a man thinks in his heart so easy so as whatever goes on up here that's who you are but you can change that you can actually change that if you learn to harness your thought life if you learn to control your thought life you can actually change that and you can become what god says you are now i have written down uh, like i try to you know sit down and put these thoughts together and i'm going to read this to you our minds are a result of our environment 
A child, for example, that's where our life begins. A child who grows up subjected to continuous rejection, to neglect or to emotional, verbal or physical abuse during the sensitive years of childhood and adolescence will be a wounded, hurting person as an adult. Right? A lot of us, I'll, I'll be honest, and I'm the first one to acknowledge it. I had a very messed up childhood. My mom left when I was seven or eight years old. My stepmother, who my dad married, used to beat me up. I, I mean, I was abused verbally, physically. I was beaten up. I left my home when I was 13. And I joined the military when I was 13. I was suicidal when I was 15. I went to war. I was a combat veteran when I was 17. I grew up seeing horrible things. I had nothing to live for. All the time, 2,000 years before that, Jesus had died for me. But that was my reality. And my life was a mess. Then I was 21 years of age, I gave my life to Jesus. And now what happens, interesting, when I gave my life to Jesus, I really felt, because I was living in such deep sin, you know, because I was, I was a sinner. I couldn't blame everybody else for my life, but a part of it was my own fault also because I made a lot of wrong choices. I was a violent person. I used to, I used to go around armed threatened to shoot people if they ever crossed me because I was insecure. I used to do a lot of other immoral things. But when I got saved, I felt like my burden of sins had been lifted off. But fundamentally, I was still the same. My mind was still the same. My mentality was the same. There were certain changes. But I had a hope, and the only thing I knew that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That, I knew, was secure. But all these other things needed to be fixed. But nobody ever told me. That I, never, I never received any teaching. Nobody ever told me that these things could actually change. I used to talk to my pastors. They said, oh, I feel so sorry for you, brother. They said, short prayer, and I would leave, and nothing would ever change. And that's what I really want to share with you, how those things can change in your life. So our mind are the results of our environment, how we have been brought up, what people say to us, how they treat us. So I decided when I got married and I had kids, I'm, I'm not going to subject them to abuse. I'm going to, be, I'm going to raise them right. And I make sure I have done that. I've done, that I've done my best for my kids. I, in fact, I chose to do the opposite of the way I was treated. So now, so it says, and okay, he'll be a wounded, hurting person as an adult. He will carry deep scars of rejection and self-loathing in his soul. He will view his interactions with others through the prism of rejection and may even resort to bullying or hurting others to assert himself over his own inferiority complexes. Can you believe that an Arab guy wrote all this in English? That's impressive. He could even be a Christian and truly love God in his heart, 
but those deep rooted wounds will keep surfacing and guide his thought life and he will never fully become the man the husband the father and the brother that the lord intended him to be those things leave deep scars in your life and when you grow into adulthood you become a husband you become a father those things hang over your life and the worst thing is that many people the curses it's like a curse you know the the bad stuff we receive in our childhood the worst thing is that we end up passing those things to others to our kids and our kids pass it on to their kids but that's when i decided it stops with me it doesn't go any further it has to stop and the best best place to stop is me then the other thing i realized i can't live my life blaming my father and my mother for what they did to me i can't do that doesn't matter whose fault is it but what matters is what do i do with it to stop it right now with some people their out of control minds can lead them to a world of negative imaginations and fantasies they can go into delusions fears obsessions paranoia these are heavy duty tools that satan uses to destroy their lives now it's one thing to to be messed up you know have a messed up childhood and, uh, and but you can still function but some people go into this deeper world of paranoia and delusions one thing that scars people's lives more than most things is pornography you know when i was growing up when i was in the military Pornography has always been there but it was very hard to get a hold of. Now it's in your phone. It's in your phone and you don't have to go far and nobody will ever find out what you're watching alone in your free time. With me. It scars people more than most things. Pornography it is easily available and can damage people's minds to sometimes unfathomable unfathomable degrees it damages it scars people's marriages it 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 damages their sexuality it damages their mind it damages their lives and it can even lead people farther like guys like ted bundy you know the mass murders they 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 started with pornography now it doesn't have to go that far but it can and that's the dangerous thing about it. it's a tool of satan okay but here's the thing you cannot fight these things in the power of your own will power many people say oh i got it under control no you don't because if you got it under control it wouldn't be in your life the fact that it is in your life you know it is wrong and it is still in your life it means that you don't have it under control there are no instant fixes i'll be very honest there are no instant fixes nor are there any shortcuts shortcuts to freedom you just can't say okay i'll have a generational spirit cast out of me and i'll be okay there are no instant fixes to this thing i'm going to tell you right from the onset there's no you know you know come for someone lays hands on you gives you a pentecostal massage oh rabba shanda and then you're free there are no 
instant fixes. But God has an answer. And that answer is what the Bible calls the renewal of the mind. The renewal of the mind. It's something you have to subject yourself to. It's tough, but it can be done. You know, some of these solutions that God has for things in our lives, they take discipline. There are, I call them Christian disciplines. There are certain Christian disciplines, you can't get around them. But that is the solution that God has. And when you subject yourself to that kind of discipline over your life, you will win the battle and you will get over it. Amen. Because many have and there is no reason why you cannot. Amen. Let me show you another scripture. This is very enlightening. Isaiah 55, 8 to 13. Now this this scripture highlights the difference between the thoughts of God and the thoughts of man. It's important for us to understand this. Now I'm reading this. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. So God says from the onset that, hey, your thoughts are not like my thoughts. Your ways are not like my ways. There's a vast difference between them. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God says, your thought life is one thing, but my thought life is way higher than yours. <coughs> then it says, but for as the rain comes down and snow from heaven and returns not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He says, just like the rain comes down from heaven to the earth, and whatever it falls on, it makes it fruitful. So shall be the word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the things whereto I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Okay, let's, let's look at this way. So what God is saying is that, listen, there's a difference between your thoughts and your ways and my thoughts and my ways. They are vastly different. And the difference is this. My thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts are the as the heavens are higher above the earth. So, but does that mean that the thoughts and the ways of God are unreachable for us? No, that's not what he's saying. He's just telling us how much higher they are. But he said, but this is how it works. He said, just like the rain comes down from the sky and waters the earth and makes it fruitful, in the same way is my word. My word comes down from heaven to you and makes your life fruitful. So what God is saying is that, you see, this book that you and I hold in our hand, it, is, it contains the ways and the thoughts of God. And once these ways and thoughts of God come into our hearts, they will make our lives to be fruitful. So when I say renewal of the mind, renewal of the mind means simply to replace your thoughts and your ways with the ways and the thoughts of God. There, it's not a kind of brainwashing or 
it's nothing, I used to use this term brainwashing, but it has such a negative connotation that people look at it negatively, but let's just put it this way. Here I am with my mess, and what I need is God's thoughts and God's ways, because God's thoughts and God's ways are perfect. So when, if I can get hold of his thoughts and his ways, which are revealed in his word, and I can replace my thoughts and my ways with his thoughts and his ways, that's when I have what the Bible calls a renewed mind. And a renewed mind is the only effective fix to this problem of having a mind that is messed up. Because if our minds are messed up, that is what we will be. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I am what I think in, in, my, you know, in my heart. Not what I believe, but what I think, what goes on in here. So... Now, then people talk about spiritual warfare. Now, let's look at true spiritual warfare. True spiritual warfare is not fighting the devil. Some people think we scream and yell at devils, you know, and that's spiritual warfare. Now, sp true spiritual warfare is found in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So, you know, our minds are full of imaginations and thoughts that run contrary to the word of God. So spiritual warfare is to tear down and to destroy those thought patterns in our minds that run contrary to the word of God. All those things in our mind that goes on up here that are contrary to what the word of God says, those are of the devil and we tear them down we cast down those thoughts and imaginations because those thoughts and imaginations are what control us. And they make us do and so we become what those thoughts and imaginations say. So we take the word of God to cast down those thoughts and imaginations and replace them with the thoughts and the word of God. Are you with me? So that's true spiritual warfare. Now, Please consider the following verses of scripture when it talks about the renewal of the mind. Verse In Colossians 3.10, it says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. When we become new creations in Christ Jesus, you know, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Old things are passed away, all things have become new. So now I have become a new creation in Christ. I have received Christ. But then there's an admonition after that that now that I have become a new creation, I have to put on the new man. It's not just enough to say, well, hallelujah, I'm saved. That's, that won't do the job. I have to put on the new man. And the new man is the man that is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The new man is, is the renewed man, renewed after the knowledge of Christ. So this is an admonition for us that once we become a new creation in Christ, we should also put on the new man. The new man is not a magical thing that just happens when we get saved, but we have to put 
on the new man. Just like I put on new fresh clothes in the morning, I have to put on the new man. The new man is the man who is renewed after the image of Christ to get from where we are as carnal people, thinking like the world thinks. Now sometimes we think that the world carnal is like an insult to call someone a carnal. Carne in Latin means flesh. A carnal person is a person who thinks after the flesh rather than after the Spirit of God. That's what it is. A carnal person isn't necessarily a bad person, but is a person whose thought processes are just like the world thinks, you know. That's a carnal person. A carnal person can be a person when he gets sick, so instead of getting, declaring the scriptures that by the stripes of Jesus I am healed, his first thought is go to the doctor. That's a carnal person. Although he believes in Jesus, the fleshly solutions to problems are foremost in his mind. That's a carnal person. He doesn't have to be a bad person. He can be a good person, but carnal just means one who's ruled by, the, by his flesh. So we have, we're, to get from where we are as carnal people, thinking like the world thinks, to becoming a new man in Christ, we need to go through this process of renewal of our inner man. And this process is going to take effort and commitment on our past. So now Paul continues with the same admonition in Ephesians 4.23, and he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He tells the Ephesians that they need to be renewed in their minds. Romans 12.2, he writes to the Romans, he says, and be ye transformed by the renewal of our mind. So that transformation takes place when our minds get renewed. Hallelujah. So the key to victory is the renewal of our mind. So 2 Timothy 1.7, I'm giving you scriptures. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So God has given these things to us, but we have to take them. We have to embrace this power and embrace love and embrace this. There's an admonition there to, you know, to get into this whole thing about the soundness of the mind. So anyway, so we have to do certain things. Now, the first thing, the first thing, this is where I would begin. The first thing we have to do, we have to unclutter our minds, distance ourselves from worldly influences that pollute and control your mind. There are certain worldly influences that are not necessarily sinful, but they can control a lot of your mind. Are you with me? Uh, for example, I don't mean to offend anyone, but I've lived in America 30 years, and one thing that is very peculiar for Americans, I've, I've traveled in, uh, I've preached in more than 75 countries, and I've lived in several countries, and I've traveled in over a hundred countries, but there's one thing very peculiar that is only in America, and that is this obsession with politics. It's not just about voting, but it, it, it possesses people. And, and, and when you get deeper into it, it's almost like belonging to a cult. 
and it possesses people. I, I've got, especially around election times, uh, I know people on Facebook, oh my goodness, the stuff they write. And, 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 and the worst thing about it is those people are angry. They're angry. Uh, well, there was once this uh, well-known evangelist. He wanted to be my faith, Facebook friend. So I accepted. I was so honored this man wanted to be my friend on Facebook. And the next day, he writes something about these godless liberals who are going to burn in the pit of hell. And I, I wrote to him, I said, dear brother, so does that mean you have failed to preach the gospel to these people that they're going to go to hell? I said, I don't know about you, but it's these very godless people who are my constituency. Those are the people I want to preach to. And you cannot preach the gospel and share the love of Jesus with people who you hate and you're angry at them. But, but, but here's the thing. It's not that these people want to be angry. It's just the type that drives them that way. Because, you see, what you allow to influence you gets you ultimately. Amen? So I'm, I'm very careful because I've learned one thing. I've learned one thing in life that, you know, whatever we are today as human beings, I'm not talking about spiritually, is a result of who we have allowed to influence our lives. We are all influenced by other people. The beginning, we're influenced by our parents. We went to school, influenced by our teachers, influenced by our friends. No one can say, oh, I'm never influenced by anybody. We are all influenced by people. But we cannot change that. But one thing we can decide is we can decide who I will allow into my mind. Who I will give space to. You know, so uh, when I... <laughs> When I came, when I first came to America, I, I had pastor friends that when I would go and preach like this, I'm here in Woodworth, and they were listening to certain talk show hosts who were very toxic, very angry. And, and, and I remember I said to this pastor in North Carolina, Carolina, I said, who is this guy? He's full of anger and hate. He said, no, 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 he's a Christian. He's this famous talk show. He exposes his people. I said, brother, we shouldn't be listening to these things. Because if we listen too much to these people, what these people say can creep into our message and come out in our sermons. And we have better things to say. So, you know, there are things in your life that you can say, well, they're not lying. They're telling the truth. Yes. But the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And, and so, you know, just because someone is telling the truth doesn't mean you have to listen to him. Amen? So there's, I call it the blessing of the uncluttered mind. We have so much of access to the media, on the phone, the radio, TV. There's, we are always, we are constantly being bombarded by information, both good and bad. And our minds are all over the place. And that's why it makes it difficult for us to hear from God. 
You know, years ago, years ago, now you kids wouldn't know what I'm talking about. We, uh, uh, I trained to be a merchant navy radio officer and we used to learn, we had to learn to transmit and receive in Morse code. Now, people don't listen to the radio these days, but if you try to tune into a radio station, you used to hear Morse code. Do you remember that? You'd be going through the, you'd be tuning a dial and you go, and you know it was Morse code. There were hundreds of stations. That's how they used to communicate those days. And so when we were on a ship and uh, we were tuning into a shore station, so there's all these ships and all these shore stations, even aircraft that used to transmit by Morse, but we had to figure out which one was speaking to me. So you knew your frequency and you had to fine tune to your frequency until you find your frequency and that's when you would hear the signal that was intended for you and you would shut out all the other signals. Otherwise it was just a cacophony of noise. You know, and you don't know who is saying who to who. But you know your frequency and you tune in and you get the signal what is intended to you. In the same way, there's so much of clutter in the atmosphere these days. So much of noise, you know, through the media, information flying here and there. And in the midst of it, God is trying to speak to us. Right? And here we are, you know, somebody is listening to CNN, someone is listening to Fox News, someone is listening to this, someone is listening to that. And we are, we are bombarded with all this information and in the middle of it, God is trying to speak to us. And one of our biggest problems is that we say, I can't hear from God. When I was younger, God used to speak to me. Now I have a hard time listening to God. You know why? Because our minds are cluttered. So sometimes it's good to unclutter your mind. Uh, less time on TV would be a good place to start. Right? Spend some less time on TV. Be choosy about what you watch. Right? Just choosy. I'm not talking about cutting away necessarily sinful things, but things that take too much of your hard drive space. Unclutter your mind. Put less information in there. Only that which is necessary. Let us through. Cut down on the entertainment. In America, we have so much of entertainment. Too much. All those things. Cut down on certain things. And, uh, you know, just cut those things down. And then, secondly, study the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Spend more time reading the Word of God. Because normally when our minds are so cluttered, I found in my own life, you know, watching too much, my mind is so cluttered, so when I open my Bible to read, I'm, I'm reading it, but I'm not really reading it. Then I realize, oh, I've read a whole chapter, but I haven't really read anything, I haven't digested, because you can be reading something, but your mind is somewhere else. Has that ever happened to you? And it should never be that way. So study the word of God. Study the scriptures that tell you what Jesus has done for us upon the cross. Meditate on those things. Thirdly, speak the word of God. Speak the word of God. Replace these other things that we talk about with the word of God. Amen. 
replace those other things. Oh, Trump said this, DeSantis said this, what do you think? You know, replace those things. Talk about the word of God instead because certain things are you can live without but there are other things that are essential you cannot live without. Amen? Speak the word of God. Speak the word of God. Speak healing. Speak life. When you meet with your friends, talk about the things of God. Amen? Speak the word of God. Speak out loudly, daily, the scriptures that tell you who are in Christ. What God has done for you in Christ. And what belongs to you in Christ. And I would suggest Reverend Kenneth Hagin's booklet, In Him. That is a powerful little tool. It's the best thing that helps you with this. It's a little booklet. I don't know, 20, 30 pages, tiny little thing. You pick that up. It's full of scriptures that tell you who we are in Christ. What we can do in Christ. What Jesus has done for us. You confess those things. Once you begin to speak the word of God, that is a game changer. Amen. Speak life, speak health, speak healing, speak prosperity. Hallelujah. So when you are by yourself, just speak the word of God to yourself. And then fourthly, meditate on the scriptures by speaking them to yourself and chewing on them again and again. Chewing on the scriptures. You speak the word and then you chew on it. Hallelujah. I woke up this morning, I was reading Ephesians 1, 3, where it says that God and Christ Jesus has, has blessed me with every blessing in Christ in the heavenly realm. So I began to chew on that. I'm blessed with every blessing in Christ in the heavenly realm. Every blessing in Jesus Christ is mine. Every blessing in Jesus Christ is mine. And suddenly my mind opened up to, okay, what does that mean? What is actually mine in Christ? What has Jesus given to me? It changes you when you chew on the scripture. Speaking the word, that renews your minds. Third, lastly, act on the scriptures. Make doing them a part of your life. What the Bible says, do those things. It becomes a part of your life. So firstly, unclutter your mind. Right? Control what information comes in. Secondly, study the word of God. Spend more time in the scriptures. Thirdly, speak the word of God. Boldly speak it over your own life. Every night when I go to bed, every morning I go to bed, and even during the day, I pray for my whole family, for my wife, my kids, my grandchildren, and even my my, my son-in-law's family, you know, I speak the word of God over them and I, I declare the word of God over everybody. And whoever else comes to mind, you know, I declare the word of God over them and I declare the word of God over my life. And those things actually change things because the word of God is powerful. Meditate on the scriptures and act on the scriptures. Now, when you begin to do that, after some time you will see that your thought patterns will change. Those old thought patterns that you grew up with because of who you are, they will be replaced by a new th thought pattern that things in line with the word of God and you will begin to feel like a different person with a new DNA of faith. See, the problem is that our churches are full of people who are unrenewed, unchanged, 
but they have lots of strong opinions and they stir up trouble. Every church has, no, Pastor Brad hasn't been telling me anything, okay? But I'm just saying this is a pattern all over the world. Unrenewed people, unchanged people, and just because they think they have been Christians long enough, that gives them a right to mouth their opinions, but they have strong opinions all the time, and they don't care, care whether they're right or wrong, they just think that their voice has to be heard. Unrenewed people. But the people whose minds are renewed, one thing about them, they normally stay quiet because they have a quiet and a gentle spirit. Okay? Now, remember these scriptures. But uh, let, me, let me give you an example. You know, when I got married, I had a huge problem with anger. I was an army officer. I you know, raised by drill sergeants when I was 13 and combat veteran, messed up. I, I was, I, had, I was, uh, you know, I was very, my way of thinking was very narrow and I was, I had, a, I had anger issues. Now, my wife was an only child, so she was stubborn. And I thought she was more stubborn than she should be. The other thing is, I'm Middle Eastern, where the woman always does what the man says. She's Swedish. So we were two people we'd set in our ways and our will. And, and I tell you, I used to, it didn't take much to tick me off. I used to get angry. Now, I was never physically violent or something. I never did that. I never, I never did that. Once, the worst thing I did, she still reminds me of it. I got angry and I poured a whole bottle of water over her. And I took a bottle of water from the fridge and poured that over her. I was so mad. But... But, but I used to be verbally abusive. I could say very unkind things. And I could, I could uh, punch holes in the drywall. I was, I was like that. I was bad. But did I enjoy being that way? No. Because I was preaching the gospel. I was a Christian. And I saw an immediate contradiction between my behavior and what I should be. So... But thank God, I received teaching on faith from Brother Hagen about the power of words. So one day I came on a, good, on a good idea that I'm going to use the word on my own life. So I came to 1 Corinthians 13. And well, the first scripture I saw was in uh, Romans chapter 5 where it says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given us, right? So I said, okay, so God has poured out, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit, and his love has been poured out into his heart, so I have the love of God in me. Then I went into 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love is patient, love is kind, you know, love doesn't vaunt itself and all that. So wherever it said love I crossed out love and put I. Because if I have the love of God in my life and I have the love of God in me, the Bible says I have it, although I don't feel like I have it, but the Bible says I do, so I am patient because I have the love of God in me. I am kind. I don't exalt myself, so I wrote that down. I typed that on a piece of paper, used to carry it in my 
pocket and wherever I went, I wouldn't do it in front of people, of course, I'd feel stupid. But when I was on my own, I'd take that piece of paper out and I would read it loud to myself because I believed in the power of speaking the word. And I would say, I have the love of God in me because God has poured out his love into my heart through the Holy Spirit. And I am patient and I am kind. And, and you know, in the beginning, it felt like I was the biggest liar in the world because I was none of those things. But I kept on, I kept with it, and in a couple of months, I began to feel a change in me. It took me about three months, and I was a changed person. And, since, and my wife will tell you, I'm a, I'm a totally changed person. I don't have any anger issues. I can't remember the last time I ever raised my voice and yelled at anybody. I have no anger issues. I am totally changed. Not because I changed myself, but because the word of God changed me. So, you can change your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're angry, and a lot of guys are, you know, guys, listen, if you have got anger in you, you've got anger issues, you're abusive, you say unkind things, you know, you can actually change yourself. You can do it. Because God has given his word to you and me for the very purpose of changing us. Amen. And you can do the same. Then I did it on a friend of mine. I suddenly realized I had this special mojo going, you know. I got this special weapon and I had, I had a friend. The guy was a total jerk. Everybody disliked him. So I targeted him and I took this I, you know, so I put his name there and I began to speak the word over him, speak the word over him and in a few months I saw him change. You can use the word of God to change yourself, to change your family, to change your circumstances. That's the, you know, that's the wonderful thing. So I'm, it's not easy, but it's not impossible. Amen. So, Let's look at Psalm, Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. When we stay our minds on Jesus and his words, God will keep us in perfect peace. Then in Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on those things. That's where we have to put the standard. Amen. So keep your mind upon Jesus and on his word. Feed on his word and set certain standards in your life. For example... I have said certain, I, I once went to a movie, okay, I love to watch movies and uh, I prefer to watch old movies because they don't have bad language or bad situations, some of the older movies, but sometimes I'll go and watch a new movie and someone recommends it and I was watching this movie and five minutes into the movie, the guy used an F word. The moment I heard the F word, you know what I did? I walked out. That's the standard I set for myself. You, you have to, you know, listen. So you might say, well, you know, we can't be legalistic. Listen, 
Legalistic, legalism is when religion sets boundaries on you. Christian maturity, you set your own boundaries. A mature Christian sets his own boundaries upon his life. And he draws a line and says, there are certain lines I won't cross, certain things I won't subject myself to. And that's not legalism because nobody else has imposed that on you. But you put that on yourself to protect yourself from the evils of this world. Amen? So, you know, and, and I tell you what, when you begin to walk with Jesus, when your mind gets to be renewed, you realize it is such a precious thing to walk with Jesus and you become so sensitive to sin and to the things that grieve the heart of God and, and suddenly you'll find yourself, no, no, I can't take this. No, no, I won't have this. So you're, you're because that's why Jesus said the way is narrow, the path is narrow. Suddenly a word, world becomes much more narrow and you become less tolerant towards things that displease the heart of God. But for an unrenewed mind, oh, I'm free in Christ. I can watch anything I want. I can do whatever I want. But when you walk with God, that thing becomes narrower because to please the Father, to walk with God becomes the most important thing in your life. Amen. Praise God. So, and this, the whole thing I'm talking about is a fight for your survival. It has to do with your life. It has to do with the quality of your life. How are you going to live in the future? Amen. And the last scripture I want to share with you is Proverbs verse, chapter 4, verse 23. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The most important thing to preserve is your heart. Is your heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? Other day someone was talking about, oh, the banks, you know, the banking system, and oh, I've got so much of money, will the FDIC protect? And that's important, you're thinking that way. But more important than protecting your money in the bank is protecting your heart. Because Proverbs 4 says that from your heart, Proceed the issues of life. Above all things, guard your heart. And we have a duty to guard our hearts from being polluted. And heart here means mind also. Guard our hearts and our minds and our souls from being polluted because from here, everything proceeds from here. So let's keep it pure and let's walk with God. Amen? Did you get what I'm after? Okay, let's bow our heads together. I know this Sunday morning, but I just want to make sure of one thing. I'm just going to pray for a couple of things, but first thing I want to ask is if there's anyone here, you say, Pastor, I don't know whether I'm saved, but I need to get make things right with God. So if you're here and you say, Pastor, I need my sins to be forgiven, I need to make things right with God, so yeah, then more than anything else, I want to pray with you. So if that's you, just lift up your hand. If there's anyone, even if there's one person, uh, God bless you, sir. Anybody else need to make things right with God? Need forgiveness in your life? Okay, I'll wait a few more. Brother, you gentlemen, yeah, please stand up. Come, come and stand with me right here. Pastor Brad, would you pray with him? Why don't we all stand up together? 